Hey everyone, you're listening to The Vent Podcast, your source for market insights, wine industry news, and updates on our current collections. Enjoy the show. Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Vent Wine Podcast with Billy and Brady. Uh, We're excited to have you for another full episode today. We have wine news, we have collection updates, we have new collection launch news, as well as uh, some travel plans. So let's dive right in. Uh, Brady, do you want to give us some updates on where we're at with the collections that have been live for a while? Yeah, as we've been talking about in the past, we um, just sold out um, of our Rhone Valley collection in the middle of last week. So right now, between the two collections that have been live on our platform for the last couple episodes, the Rhone Valley and the Piemonte collection, we have uh, just the Piemonte collection remaining. Um, And then, of course, like you noted, Billy, we do have a collection that just released earlier this week. Yeah. Yeah. So we're really excited about our our newest collection. I think people who have been with us for a long time, we're used to kind of us having one collection open at a time and for a while, no collections open. So we're, we're making an effort to have multiple collections open for everybody who's currently invested to kind of continue to diversify as well as new people on the platform. So, uh, we're excited to have this one open concurrently with Piemonte and it is really a first of a, a kind collection for us. This is our first kind of focusing on wines themselves from a specific time period rather than just a singular region or producer. Um, so it's really exciting. This one, we, we're just calling it the, the 2010 decade collection. Um, what we, what we did was went through and looked at top vintages and top regions of the world and also vintages that offered really, really great value from um, just a quality wine point of view, and then work to kind of put all these variables together and identify producers that were making great wine in each of these vintages, or kind of backtracked and found these great wines from these unique years and kind of put them all together in a, a nice curated package. Yeah, and you know, I, I really, I really like being able to have access in one collection, especially when you're talking about French wines to wines across both Burgundy uh, and Bordeaux. Um, You know, I think that that's a great opportunity for diversification. If someone is just joining the platform and able now to invest in this new, this 2010 decade collection, um, you know, there's kind of instant diversification across some of those top regions in France. Yeah, that's actually a great point. We've had a few. So I'll just say who's who all is in this collection? We have uh, some Armand Rousseau, uh, 2016 Clos Saint-Jacques from Jeffrey Chambertin. Uh, we have some Chateau Mouton Rothschild, uh, both 2010 and 2012 decades with the 2012, um, sorry, not decades, vintages with the 2012 and Magnums. Uh, we have some more Pingus. Um, you may remember in our Spanish collection, uh, Pingus is a famous producer from Spain in the Ribera del Duero region. And then we have some Le Pan, uh, potentially the most expensive wine in Bordeaux. So right bank Pomerol, just like Petrus. And we have that in the 2015 vintage. So to your point earlier, we have some wines. We, we have had a collection in the past that featured red Burgundy. We have had collections in the past that featured first growth Bordeaux. We have had collections in the past that featured high end Pomerol and Petrus as well as Pingus. So this collection really does offer you the opportunity to kind of invest in all of those past collections in one, one fell swoop. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I've really been, when we've been having conversations with investors recently and something that we've been talking a lot about internally is one of the big benefits of, you know, platform like Vince, where you're able to fractionalize 
you know, a larger collection of assets is the opportunity for instant diversification. I mean, some of these bottles, you know, uh, just simply people would be priced out of some of these bottles if they were trying to make an initial investment of a whole bottle on their own. So it's really exciting to be able to provide uh, diversification at just $50 a share, which is what this collection is um, uh, being offered at. We have just under 2,000 shares, um, it's 1,990. And this collection is actually just a touch smaller than some of our recent collections. Um, we've been kind of hovering around that $150,000 um, collection cap range, but this one comes in just under 100,000 in total value. Um, so, yeah. you know, maybe we, we may see it sell out a little bit quicker than some previous collections, but, you know, I, I think that if it does sell out quickly, that won't be simply because it's, um, you know, a, a smaller collection overall. I think it's an awesome opportunity, like I said, to diversify. Yeah. And and our investors will see where we are going to be offering collections of different sizes. And it's more that we're just making, we're going to have more collections over time. Um, and we're just, you know, trying to thoughtfully put together these packages. So, but to Brady's point, with, with smaller sizes doesn't mean they'll sell out faster. So you'll probably have to move a little, little quicker in order to get some shares in some of these. Um, but yeah, let's, now that we've kind of talked about the wines, let's transition into kind of some of the key points for this collection. So I've, I've topped on, touched on already the, the vintages. Um, and then just to add a little bit more detail though, there are four of these vintages were rated by Robert Parker as uh, 96 or above, which means that they're considered by the, the wine advocate as extraordinary, um, which is excellent. Um, obviously good wines come from good years. Uh, so that was one of the things that we we looked into and we really wanted to kind of give a smattering of this whole decade rather than focusing on a bunch of wines from one singular good year. So we have some 2010 Bordeaux widely panned as uh, one of the best vintages of the past decade. Um, also one of the top five in the past 30 years. We have 2015 Le Pan um, from the right bank of Bordeaux. So we have Mouton from 2010. Uh, which is from the left bank. And then we have 2015 Le Pan, which is, it was a kind of a warmer vintage, which didn't necessarily bode as well uh, for the left bank in some sides, because um, there was some heat, there was some, some rain mixed in at some points, um, but the Merlot just shined beautifully uh, throughout the whole vintage. So that's, you know, Le Pan's 100% Merlot. It was a beautiful year, ripened really well. So 2015 is showing really well. And then 2016, we have Burgundy, uh, red Burgundy from Armand Rousseau, but we also have Pingus um, from Domenio de Pingus in Roberto Duero. Which, what's interesting about these vintages, so the Pingus one had it basically kind of an optimal growing year. It was it was pretty solid, consistent, wines ripened well. It was considered, it's tied with 2010 for the best vintage in uh, Roberto del Duero in the past 30 years. Uh, on the Burgundy side, there was it was kind of interesting. There was some frost early in the year. There was some hail in the middle of the year. Um, but what you will find is the wines that were produced, maybe somewhere in smaller quantities due to some damage, but the wines that were produced were really high quality and have been producing really nicely, uh, I guess, aging wines. I mean, it's only been six years, but they're already looking beautiful and people have, have opened a couple to see how they're they're developing in the bottle. Yeah, we've, we've really liked these 2016 Burgundies. Um, we're just talking recently about our 2016 Latash um, that we released uh, with our uh, Domaine de la Romani Conti um, collection. 
And, um, you know, those 2016s, like you said, they're kind of in that perfect window of it was an outstanding vintage, got high ratings kind of across the board with reviewers, um, like as as a region um, uh, for that climate in that year. Um, But also the 2016s right now are kind of at that that perfect point where um, they're you know, starting to show a little bit better, but they still have a ton of life um, ahead of them um, in terms of maturation. Um, so, you know, excited about that 2016 vintage and it, it's kind of all those things are reflected in the one year return. I mean, that 48% one year return for that, uh, this burgundies really stands out to me, um, you know, getting a lot of traction in the markets. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I well, we can, that brings us right into our next point here. Um, Rousseau, as a producer has been extremely hot in the, in the global secondary wine market, global wine market as a whole. He, um, he's actually number three on the LiveX uh, brand power rating index. Uh, like as a, the company is Armand Russo as a company. So mm-hmm. what's really interesting there is what, what that does bring the desirability. Um, it takes a couple of things into account, basically um, value, um, per bottle sold or value per sale, um, volume sold, and all these different variables. And the only two companies that are above him or that company um, are Loire, which is the most, uh, it's a Burgundy producer that's been on a, a tear for the past few years, and Lafitte, um, which is um, arguably the most sought after uh, first growth Bordeaux. So it's really interesting to to see that growth um, and to be able to offer some of our his wines to our investors. Yeah, there's there's a great points, Billy. And you know, while forty eight percent year over year growth seems like a lot and might uh, scare some investors that there um, maybe is a, a decrease in demand coming or kind of a market top, um, there was an article that came out from LiveX recently that was um, just making note of the bid offer ratio right now um, on LiveX exchanges, um, suggesting that there's market confidence in pricing and just relative price stability. And so they describe a bid offer ratio of above 0.5, tending to indicate the beginning of an uptrend in the market, um, and is typically being a sign of price stability. Um, and so right now that uh, that ratio is sitting at 1.72. Um, and in 2020, when COVID was kind of starting to settle in and when lockdowns were announced, the ratio dropped to 0.2. Um, so as a consequence of that, the market w- was um, you know really weakened. But we've seen a steady uptrend and and that high bid to offer ratio now at 1.72 seems to indicate that there's um, a lot of a lot of strength in the market right now, a lot of price stability um, and investors hopefully shouldn't be concerned about uh, the markets being overbought right now, especially for these these top vintages, which really do stand out um, uh, out from others when we're especially when we're talking about something like 2016 Burgundy. Um, you know, they're an outlier case, even just in the quality of the wines produced in that year. Yeah. And what's building two points there, the Rousseau in, in general, he's a, a well-known producer from Gevry Chambertin, who's been making a ton of wines and they're in terms of a ton of different Grand Cru, Premier Cru, but there are certain wines that have really stood out and the Grand Cru in general across Burgundy from the top producers have been, rising in price so quickly over the past couple of years that they've actually risen that 48% looks small compared to a bunch of the other producers. So what we were doing is looking for these other value wines. So this is a Premier Cru Clos Saint-Jacques, which is 
actually been nominated multiple times to become a grand crew and due to some bureaucracy it hasn't so it's producing world-class wines but we're able to get the grand crew quality wines at a, a less a lower price than we would a say rousseau grand crew so what we're looking for here is everybody in terms of collectors there's some people are actually getting priced out right now of those top wines and they're looking for where can i find this value where can i get wine of similar quality for lower price. And they're turning to these premier crews. So what we're doing is we're kind of as Vint looking for these opportunities to get into a wine where it's just becoming hot or just becoming there to kind of hopefully, you know, if pattern holds as we've been seeing, maybe we'll continue to become in demand from collectors and continue to be sought after. And then to your point on the 2016s, yeah, we, we could go on for 2016 for a long time, but you will notice that that in our Romani Conti pack, it was a it was a mixed pack. Um, so we had wines from across Vaughan Romane, but noticeably missing was a uh, Montrachet from that year. Um, and there was horrible frost and some damage to the vines in Montrachet that year. And they actually had to combine, uh, take their fruit from the Romani Conti plantings and actually combine with other producers to make a single bottling together. So it's really interesting just to see that sometimes the weather can be really friendly to one region and then just down the road, you know, 20 minutes or, or a little further, um, you know, a, a freak hail event or some frost can really actually wipe out a whole, a whole, uh, I guess, genre of wine from that year or whole vineyard. Um, so it's really interesting to think about. Yeah. I think you, you know, you, you showed your, you showed your cards in a, in an interesting way to our investors there um, kind of in just indicating even being able to identify those triggers of, oh, look, we're going to be able to get value right now um, by buying Premier Cru um, instead of Grand Cru. Um, you know, that's something that you wouldn't be able to identify very easily without a team like we have, you know, our wine advisors and and otherwise who are kind of uh, giving us hints and tips on the inner workings of some of these markets. Yeah, it's certainly the benefit of having your your finger on the pulse every day and, uh, and tracking, you know, the producers that are rising and the vineyards that are uh, becoming more in demand for sure. Uh, speaking of in demand vineyards, let's uh, transition over to our last key point for this next collection. It is uh, the Lapan that we're offering. Um, this is a very small vineyard. Uh, it's a Merlot based wine from the right bank of Bordeaux uh, in the Pomerol region, um, which you guys will remember from our Petrus collection. Uh, this, this vineyard is only six acres um, in total size and it only produces between four and 600 cases a year, um, 500 on average. And that is minuscule. For example, we said Petrus is a small producer and they still produce, which they are, and they still produce 4,000 cases a year. Um, and what's interesting is these smaller production sizes have actually led to prices that compete regularly with Petrus. So um, definitely for the right bank crown and most expensive wine, it regularly goes back and forth between Le Pen and Petrus. Um, and then, you know, the, it's actually one of the most expensive wines in Bordeaux, too. There's this kind of outlier called Liber Pater, um, this guy making very small quantities of wines that he releases at really high prices in Grave. Um, but between those three, Le Pen, Petrus, and Liber Pater, they're regularly battling for the most expensive bottle in, in Bordeaux. And something that's really funny is I was just talking to um, basically a, a veteran of Bordeaux. He's part of the Bordeaux Commanderie, which is this organization that represents Bordeaux around the world. Um, it's almost like a, it's, it's this like special club that you have to be inducted to. Um, and he's been going to Bordeaux and tasting for 40 plus years. And 
he was telling me he was at a tasting in Bordeaux um, at the owner of one of the chateaux, and and they they came out and they were saying we're going to move on to a right bank here. We're going to taste uh, some pomerol, and he was like, "Oh, are you going to pull out Le Pen?" And he was like, "Oh, no, no, it's it's Petrus. I can't afford Le Pen." <laughs> so it was kind of funny <laughs> that back in the day, that was he said like a while ago. Um, but, but Le Pen has just been so hard to find and so expensive that. Um, this guy just basically was serving Petrus. It would be a shame to have to settle for Petrus, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would be miffed for sure. No, <laughs> if anybody ever wants to offer me Petrus, I will gladly take that. But now I'm really intrigued to hopefully someday be able to, to get even a, a thimble of Le Pen. Um, but yeah, so moving on from that, though, I think something that everybody's really going to notice in our new thesis um, format, or at least I hope everybody notices, because it's it's the start of uh, a lot more vintage and weather information that we're going to be sharing, um, hopefully throughout multiple collections coming up here. And then you guys will start seeing more really to give our community more insight into like what, what makes a great vintage what makes a special terroir perform well in, in certain weather conditions and how does that interact with the soil? So right now we're really focusing on, on climate and we've added these icons to the, to the thesis. And you'll notice if you scroll down and look at the, the wine list, we normally have the information about the wine, like the vintage, the name, the number of bottles, the size of the bottles. And now we've added these icons, um, which are really exciting. So I'll just run through them real quick. We have a snowflake, a sunshine, storm cloud, raindrop, cactus, and a, a kind of a flame. Um, and these all have really broad meanings. I mean, you can only say so much through an icon and, and we'll do our best in each collection to kind of explain what, what each means for the specific wine. So, but in general, the snowflake means there's either a frost event or it was a cooler year overall. Uh, the sunshine means it was warm and sunny and generally good growing conditions. Um, the best growing conditions tend to be lower rain throughout the growing season, sunny days. Uh, the next one would be a storm cloud, which for us is going to mean either hail or an inclement, inclement weather in general. So there's a freak thunderstorm, random wind event, um, something that was kind of a, a one-off event that caused damage that impacted the vintage as a whole. The next would be a raindrop. Uh, this basically means it was either a wet year, rained often, or when it did rain, it created mildew or other disease pressure that impacted either total quantity of yield or quality of yield um, for the vintage, which then impacts the final wine. Uh, and the remaining two are a cactus, which for us is going to mean extremely dry year, uh, potentially a drought year. And then that will normally come hand in hand with heat, but not always for sure. And then the flame is just literally going to mean uh, a wildfire or the, the grapes or the vintage was impacted by smoke. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're really excited to add this, this new element and, and insight into the wine for our investors. And like, and like you said, Billy, this is, uh, you know, a really high, these icons represent a, a really high zoomed out overview, um, you know, of these particular wines or vintages, um, you know, there is no single one of these uh, climate events that would either completely negatively or completely positively affect uh, wines for most of these producers, you know, save a catastrophic event where the crop is literally physically depleted and wiped out uh, like 
multiple severe hail events or, you know, fires that, that burn through a vineyard. Um, most producers are able to work with, uh, the, the top producers are able to work through um, a number of uh, and variety of climate conditions and weather, weather events. Um, but these hopefully just add some color to some of the, um, uh, some of the factors that we're taking into consideration when we're selecting these wines and, and deciding what to add to a collection. Uh, they're not meant to necessarily indicate, um, you know, oh, this, this is one to avoid. This is one to go after a little bit harder, really just trying to provide some color um, around why we made the decisions that we made and, and what factors are influencing uh, the demand for a certain vintage. Yeah, and definitely. And that's, it's, it's really interesting to think about it in that sense. Cause even when you look at vintage charts and stuff, um, I was just listening to a, a recording by Alan Meadows, who's Berghound. He's, he's the famous Burgundy critic and he doesn't like vintage charts on the whole because just because certain areas were hard hit or had damage one year um, or certain, you know, crews or, vineyards didn't produce good wines doesn't mean one down the road might have been spared or produced amazing wines that year so what we're doing is giving these macro environmental factors that impacted the kind of broader region and then as you listen to our webinars or look at some blog posts we're going to have supporting each collection then we'll give you the specific details on on these wines these vineyards and what makes them kind of so special but to your point a good example of this is um another one of our value buys i guess in this collection which are just now kind of coming around to be respected by collectors is the 2012 uh mouton rust shield um 2012 in bordeaux as a whole saw a little bit of wet weather um th throughout different periods in the growing season there was some rain um it was a little cooler on the whole and coming off the heels of 09 and 10 which were amazingly sunny perfectly ripe vintages people kind of poo-pooed the 2012s they didn't really give them the the respect that they had deserved so they were available and on on per more at a lower price and a value price and then over time they've they've been slowly um appreciating um over the past few years but it hasn't ever had this big spike that certain really sought after vintages have and, and collectors are just now coming around to seeing how well the the wine's developing in bottle um, and how it's really showing and it's it's becoming more sought after. So that's a great example of just because it looks like a wet year um, doesn't mean there wasn't great value to be had. There's certainly you know, some amazing wines and we've been able to get some of those. And again, also something we never really touched on is you'll notice that the 2012s are in um, 1500 milliliter. Um, they're basically in magnums. Mm, that's right. Uh, yeah. So when I'm saying the wine's just now coming around and showing better, and it's showing that it really develops beautifully over time. What do you want in terms of bottle size when you want something to slowly develop and really mature? Well, you want a bigger bottle. Um, I don't know if many people know that the 750 mils versus a Magnum, um, the 750 milliliter bottle will mature much faster than the Magnum. Um, so if you want something to mature slowly and delicately over time, Magnums are the way to go. And that's also why we chose uh, that, that format for the 2012s um, when making this purchase as well. Yeah, that's great insight because, you know, I, when we when we see big bottles in, in pictures or videos, I think sometimes our initial reaction is, oh, that's really cool. You know, that's an interesting way to, to serve a wine, but they certainly have, um, they, they carry a premium in the market, in, in the retail market, 
um, just based on the process of how you have to bottle those larger uh, format bottles. Um, but they also carry a premium in secondary markets because of what you said, um, the uh, the added characteristics and qualities that you get uh, when you think about aging a little bit more subtly. Yeah. And just to touch a little bit more on the science behind it, it's basically what makes a wine tend to, I mean, there's a lot of variables that, that go into how a wine develops over time. But one of the key factors is um, oxygen, os- oxygen content to the wine itself. This comes in through the cork when it's in a bottle. So if you have a bigger bottle and more, you have a bigger bottle and basically there's lower, more volume of liquid. And so there's less uh, contact ratio between the, the kind of the neck of the bottle and the oxygen, I guess, ingressing into the wine itself and exposing to the wine um, overall. So like spatially, just picture it. Like basically there's, if you have a big bottle, there's only that little neck and there's all this wine that's not exposed to the oxygen, where if you have a 750 mil, you have the the neck and there's still the same, there's a larger surface area exposed to oxygen of the actual juice itself. So, sorry, that was a little bit convoluted, but, and we, we recently got to have, uh, what was the vintage? Was it 04 or 08? Um, Lipa's de Heredia Tondonia at a team dinner from Magnum. Um, and I had, I had had that wine multiple times in 750 mil and it aged beautifully. And it was, it wasn't a different wine, but it was um, certain characteristics were just so much more delicate and nuanced coming out of that, that Magnum. So um, that's just a recent experience, but definitely I encourage everyone to kind of seek out some of their favorite wines in larger formats at, at, with a little bit more age on them. But uh, speaking of tasting interesting wines, uh, Brady, you are about to have your, your French soldier and you just want to give us a, another quick overview of your route and then we'll, uh, we'll send you on your way. Yeah, we're excited. Um, uh, we're flying into Paris when we head down there and then uh, immediately driving from Paris to Champagne and spending um, an evening or two there. And then we'll kind of make our way down the eastern side of the country, down through Alsace um, and then into the Alps. Um, so the kind of three main regions that we're hitting uh, while we're there, winemaking regions are Champagne, Alsace and Burgundy. Um, once we come down from the mountains and on the French side of the Alps, we'll head back up towards Paris through Burgundy and um, stopping at two chateaux in Burgundy. And we're uh, going to do the uh, Runart Chalk Caves tour uh, while we're in Champagne, uh, which will be really exciting to see um, those old deep caves there that they um, that they have their um, hundreds of thousands, millions, I think, actually bottles of Runart um, in the Chalk Caves there. Yeah, that's so exciting. Well, although Burgundy and Champagne are certainly highlights, don't uh... Don't skimp on anything in Alsace. Get some of those, you know, noble whites, whether it's a Riesling, Gewürztraminer, Pinot Gris, or a Muscat. Um, they really. I think have. that's that's probably where I'll be uh, drinking the most during dinner because um, we don't have any um, we don't have any tours or tastings set up while we're um, in Colmar uh, around Alsace. Um, but probably we'll definitely be having several glasses <laughs> with meals there. Yeah. No, I you. The, the expression of all of those varietals there is, is so unique. I'm, I'm excited to hear your point of view and, and your travel companions. Um, and also, just also don't forget, if you're going down the mountains there, there's Savoie and the Jura. Um, they're definitely, they make really interesting wines. Some of them are a different style than you'll be used to. Um, so I, I'd be interested there as well, because some of their, their whites can be more um, some of them are like made in more oxidative style. Um, they kind of give me more of like an apple juice kind of, 
mm-hmm. essence. Um, and they're kind of just a little more rustic in general, but they're really good. And they're unlike a lot of the other wines you'll be having on your trip. So I'd be interested to, to I, I would encourage you to try some and, and just see what you think there as well. Yeah, I'll try and make a try and make a point to take a make a log of all the wines we drink and take pictures of bottles and and definitely take pictures when we're out in Burgundy, when we're at Latosh and, and some of the more famous vineyards out there. We're excited about that. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, have a great trip and uh, we'll connect with you and the rest of the podcast when you get back. For questions, comments or feedback on the Vent podcast, please email us at support at vent.co. To check out our current offerings and to sign up for the Vent platform, find us at www.vent.co. That's www.vint.co. Vint and VV Markets are offering securities pursuant to Regulation A. Our offering circular as amended can be found on the SEC website. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments such as those on the Vent platform are speculative and involve substantial risks to consider before investing. We may provide communication that may contain certain forward-looking statements that are subject to various risks and uncertainties. Information provided in any communications is not legal, business, or tax advice. All prospective investors should consult a legal, tax, or business advisor concerning the subject matter of any communications and any offering.